I want to start a little different than I had planned this morning. Um, I just have to read something after that amazing time of worship. John chapter 14, you don't need to turn there. It's not going to be our text for the sermon, um, but I just feel led to read this after that song. John chapter 14 and verse 1, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. We just sang that. We just said, God, we believe that there is in your house, in your heaven, there is a place for me. And it's there for us because he's prepared that place for us. And why has he prepared that place for us? So that he may draw us unto himself, that where he is, there we may be also. And whether I go, you know, and the way, you know, Thomas saith unto him, and poor Thomas, we pick on Thomas a lot, Lord, we know not whether thou goest, and how can we know the way? Some people say, well, Thomas was being doubtful Thomas here. You know, he was just being just this downer guy. He was always kind of like Eeyore. I don't think that's Thomas. When you read the, the ministry in the gospel of Jesus Christ, uh, and you read about when Jesus was going to raise Lazarus from the dead and all of that discussion was going on and they said, we got to go down near Jerusalem to do this thing. Uh, the other disciples were kind of like, well, I think, I think Lazarus is okay. We don't want to go down there. They're going to kill us if we go down there. And, you know, Thomas is the one that said, well, if we die, we die. If we die with Jesus, I'd rather die with Jesus than live in comfort and safety here. And so Thomas is not doubting here. He's not asking this out of, I don't think I believe this. He is asking this why? Because he wants to make sure that whatever the way is to get to Jesus and to stay with Jesus, he wants to know for sure how to do that. He's asking because he wants to know from the lips of Christ, tell me how to know that I know that I know that where you are, there I will be also. So verse 6, it's great to think that God has prepared a place for us. The person of Jesus Christ has prepared a place for us. It's amazing to think on that and to dwell on that truth. But verse 6 has to be taken into consideration. Who is it that Jesus has prepared a place for? Who is it that has a dwelling place in his heaven forever? Who is it that will be with Jesus forever, that where he is we may be also? Verse 6, Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. Who are, who are those that are going to be with him for eternity? Who are those that will be in heaven? Who are those that are the ones he's preparing a place for? The reality is, the truth is, those in Christ. He says, if you are in me, I am the way. See, in our culture today, there are many thoughts on this, and there's many ideas that there's many ways to God. There's many ways to heaven. Uh, just be a good person and, and be sincere in whatever you believe, and you'll be fine. But the person of Jesus Christ, while on planet Earth, is recorded as I've said, I am the way. He doesn't say, I am a way right? He doesn't say, I am a good option. He says, I am the way. So what do we do with that? Either Jesus is telling the truth as a son of God, and he really is the only way, and we believe that because he is God and God in the flesh, or he was a lunatic who believed himself to be the son of God. Uh, but he can't be a good moral teacher and a good prophet if he was lying about being the only way to heaven. And so I want to encourage you this morning. We sing, we sing in that song, I just was thinking, Lord, you are so good to us that you are preparing a place and have prepared a place for us that those that trust in Christ will not have to fear death. We don't have to wonder what comes after this. 
And we have a confident hope in Jesus Christ. And so uh, I just couldn't get away from that text as I was sitting over there, standing over there singing with you this morning. And so praise God that we have a confident hope in him. Amen. Open your Bibles to Nehemiah chapter 6. You can tell everyone who wasn't here this morning that you got two sermons this morning for the price of one. So you go brag on that. You can't get a better deal on eBay. You know what I'm saying? So Nehemiah chapter 6. I don't shop on eBay. I'll be real transparent here. I'm terrified and horribly skeptic of people that sell things on eBay. I don't know what I'm going to get in the mail. Um, This is what it looks like, and that's not what I ended up with. So I don't buy things on eBay, so I have no idea if it's good deals on eBay. I'm not endorsing eBay. Don't go after here saying Pastor John at North Carolina Baptist Church is pro-eBay. Okay, I don't have any stand on it whatsoever. You're thinking, like, what is he? I'm trying to make a joke about politics. But anyway, we'll move on. So... Uh, This morning, we're going to jump into Nehemiah chapter 6 as we're finishing up our series, The Good Work, The Good Work. Before we get into that, though, I have to take a moment, and I won't make them stand or anything like that. I'm not trying to embarrass anybody, but uh, I am just overjoyed to have Greg Bissett and his daughter Kelsey with us this morning. Um, They are with us, and give them a hand this morning for being here. Um, They have gone through a lot in the last couple of months, and it is just great to have them with us, and uh, love you guys, appreciate you, and uh, love your heart for our church and for our church family, and so let them know you're glad to see them this morning if you have a chance to see them. And so uh, this morning, as I said already, we're going to be finishing up our Good Work series. We've been going through kind of using Nehemiah as a little bit as an example here, an illustration of the good work that God has called us to accomplish in this life. Um, as we've covered the last three weeks, again, maybe you've missed something. Uh, you can go online, northgoodland.org. You can go on our app, download it from your app store, North Goodland BC. In your app store, you can get all the sermons, all the access you want there. If you want it on CD form, um, and for those younger here today, a CD is a round disc, kind of shiny. You used to put that in a CD player um, that used to be about this big, okay, when I was a kid. Um, but anyway, you can have that for your vehicle or whatever. If you would prefer to have it on CD, you can go to the Welcome Center and you can sign up for that. So um, want to make sure you have the Word of God in your hands and the, and the content from this sermon series. Uh, also, if you want the whole sermon series on uh, a four-disc set, uh, you can order that as well if you want to do it that way instead of getting individual sermon series or uh, sermons. You can get the whole set. Or, and I know you're thinking, there's just so many options. What do I do with all this? Um, we're all about options here. Um, you can actually go to the Welcome Center here in a few weeks. We'll have this series in our library. And so if you want to just borrow it for four weeks, you can check that out if you will. Take that home, listen to it, and return it uh, totally free, just on your Christian honor if you want to have that available to you. All of our series that we do, all of our sermon series are at the Welcome Center for you to do that with. Um, maybe you have a topic or something in mind, uh, Christian living, marriage, family, something like that that you want to kind of study on. We have all of our sermon series categorized that way. You can go and just say, can I get something on marriage or on family or on Christian living or on a Bible character or something like that, a Bible book that we did. You can see a whole list there, and that's completely free of charge to you to rent out kind of like our library, if you will, to have that with you. But as we've gone over the last three weeks, I pray that you've been encouraged not only to know that God has equipped you to do a good work, but you've been encouraged to start the good work. Uh, We've said it the first week, so many of us know the burden that God has given us. So many know the thing we're supposed to be doing, but we're so terrified to just start the thing. And we sit and we sit and we sit, and God is saying, just go, right? I will show you in the going. I will show you as you step out the details. I'll give you enough to know to step out. 
but you have to be willing to step out. We also all, as followers of Christ, have a call upon our lives to share the gospel with the lost and make disciples for Christ. That is our mission as followers of Christ in this world. It is not to accumulate as much wealth, as much security, as much comfort, as much convenience, as much stuff. That's not the point of this life as a follower of Christ. The world may think that way, but as a follower of Christ, we have a whole different perspective on this world. Our goal is not to accumulate and amass treasures this side of heaven. Our objective, our mission given to us by Christ through the Word of God is to accumulate treasures that side of heaven. And what is that? That's the good work for Jesus Christ. That's, that's leading people to Christ. Now again, I know when I say that, you think, man, I've tried. I've tried sharing Christ with people and nobody believes. Nobody, I've never, ever, ever led one person to the Lord. I mean, I've shared my faith hundreds of times, but I've never had anybody bow their head and accept Christ right in my presence. Let me encourage you today. You're not called to produce that result. All we're called to do as followers of Christ is share our faith. Because our faith is really his faith, right? It's sharing the love of Christ with them. It's serving them in a way that, that matches what Christ would do for them and with them. And so we share our faith so that they'll come to know Christ. And why do we share our faith? Why are we so passionate about this? Because John chapter 14, verse 6 says, He is the way. And I don't know about you, but I want everyone in heaven. I want everyone in heaven. I don't like it that anyone's not going to get in. And so I'm going to tell everybody I can about Jesus Christ as much as I can. That's the call on our lives. However, along with that call, and it's not a one or the other, right? It's not an either or. It's that's the call on all believers' life. Every believer, no matter how newly saved you are, how long you've been saved, how much of the Bible you know, how much of the Bible you think you know, how much of the Bible you don't know, the point of it is we are called to make disciples. And isn't it amazing? Do you know the best way to grow as a follower of Christ? To disciple someone else. And isn't it amazing? It's almost as though that's the plan, right? That God, he's tricky like this. He says, go make disciples. And you start thinking, I can't make a disciple. I don't even know the Bible that well. And so you get with another person and say, hey, let's just study this book together. Just, just spend some time in the Word of God together. And guess what's happening? As you're studying the Word of God to help them with the Word of God, what's happening with you? You're growing. You're maturing. You're helping them grow and mature. They're sharing things that you never thought about. And you're thinking, oh, wow, that's amazing. I never saw it like that. And all of a sudden now in this beautiful relationship, and again, we don't do this with every single person. If you tried to disciple every single person one-on-one -on -one in an in-depth, intimate relationship, you'd be dead in six months. No, not really. But you'd feel like you were because you'd be drained. Man, I, we shared it before. What was Jesus' example? He ministered to thousands, right? He preached to thousands. He had his 12 that he kind of grew with and nurtured and encouraged. And then even in the 12, he had his three. Some might say four if you include Andrew, which I usually do. He had his four, that that was kind of like his inner circle. Not because they were better than everyone else. Maybe they thought they were, right? We know Peter had an issue with that for a little while. But it wasn't that they were better than everyone else. It wasn't that he loved them more than the other in the 12. He realized, Jesus being God, realized, I'm going to pour into these four lives everything I have. I'm going to minister to a, in a broader sense to these 12, and then even in a more broader sense to these thousands, and then when I minister to these three or four and I pour my life into them and then they all go get somebody and they pour their lives into them and now this chain starts. That's the beginning of the church. 2,000 years later, it's still working. Isn't that amazing? 
You want to talk about a system that shouldn't have made sense in the world. One guy led 12 nobodies who led to 110 in the upper room and then 1,000, 3,000 or 4,000 here, 4,000 there. Boom, here's the church. All built on a carpenter from Nazareth who never held a political office, never wrote a best-selling book. Now we know he's God and he authored the word of God, but I mean in the sense we understand it. He used fishermen and nobodies. And then he used somebodies. We always think about the nobodies, but remember, the Apostle Paul was a somebody, wasn't he? Before he was Paul, he was a somebody. Then God got a hold of his heart, and he became an even better somebody for Jesus Christ. So it's not, God doesn't only use, if you're sitting here, and you're a profession where you have a fair amount of wealth, or you're somebody of importance, of notoriety, or someone that leads a corporation, or leads a business, and you're sitting there like, I don't feel like a nobody. Like, I feel like I've got some stuff going for me. I can speak well or whatever. Maybe you have those gifts. Please don't think, man, I wish I was a nobody like those people. That's not what we're saying, okay? We're saying it doesn't matter who you are. It's all about your availability, not your ability. So a nobody or a somebody, God says, I'll use you. I'll use you if you surrender to me. But again, we got to remind ourselves, when we talk about this idea of discipleship, please don't overwhelm yourself by thinking your obligation is to disciple every single person in this church or your obligation to disciple every single person at your job. And you can't do it. You weren't called to do that. You were called to disciple and walk with those that God has put in your immediate area of influence. You pray for wisdom and guidance and you walk with them as long as God allows. You encourage them. You grow. They grow. And then maybe at some point you realize, you know what, we've kind of hit a point where we're both kind of doing okay in this and we're matured to a certain level. Maybe you go disciple someone and I'll go disciple someone else. And we just keep doing this thing over and over again. So it's, again, please don't carry the unreal, unfair expectation that it's your personal, individual obligation to reach every person or to disciple and minister to every single person. You will burn yourself out so fast. Use wisdom as we walk this out and ask God for wisdom. God, who would you have me to walk with for a time? And again, don't let a good thing become a bad thing when we get it out of, out of the right perspective. So we know we all have a call on our lives to lead others to Christ. We have a call on our lives to make disciples. But maybe someone here has a specific call or a specific burden to a specific group of people. Maybe you have a heart for children and you just love kids and you want to just see kids grow up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And we have some amazing junior church leaders, teachers, word of life leaders and teachers, those that work with our kids. Man, these parents, these adults, grandparents, they love these kids. And I love, there's, there's one specific woman, I won't name her, if you know who she is because your kids are in her class or have been around here very much, you'll know who she is. But, but all the kids in her class call her grandma. It's just how it goes. Can I tell you something amazing? I've been here on a service where she wasn't even teaching, wasn't even in the classroom. And I've seen kids all the way down the lobby here. And as she's coming down the hallway, they will turn and run and give her a hug. It's not really her grandchild, but they just, they know that she loves them. And her heart is, she loves kids. Just, it's just a burden that she carries. Some of you have a burden for those that are in your peer group those that maybe are of similar age that are struggling in some way, and you just have a heart for them. Maybe someone here has a heart for those that are elderly. Uh, Maybe more of our seasoned saints. You have a heart for them. You want to come alongside them and love on them and encourage them and help them in any way you can. Maybe someone here has a heart and a burden for those that are in the world of addiction. And you just feel this pull that, man, I just, I just, I got to minister to these people. This is the group that God has called me to minister to. Maybe somebody here has a heart for missions. 
And you just, you feel that pull to go overseas or go next door to your neighbor and just share Christ. You just have this burden to share Christ, but in a way that is missions-minded, not just every day. See, all these burdens that God gives us, one is not better than another. That's the point. Those of you that love on kids and want to minister to kids, your burden isn't less than the one that loves on the people that are caught in a certain addiction and vice versa. It's the burden that God has given you along with reaching them for Christ and the general call, we all have at times specific calls that we may be led into. And so we've been covering this for quite a few weeks now. And we've talked a lot about different aspects of this, how to maintain the good work, how to stay focused in the good work, how to begin the good work. But this morning we're going to be looking at how we can shut the door on distractions. How to shut the door on distractions. The title of the message this morning is simple. It's basically this. It's too important to come down. It's too important to come down. And I say, what in the world are you talking about? We're going to get to something in Nehemiah's life in just a moment. But it's too important to come down. Look at Nehemiah chapter 6 and verse 1. Now that we're through the introduction and the first sermon, we'll get to the second sermon. And it's only 1125. We're doing great. Okay. Nehemiah chapter 6, look at verse 1. Now remember these guys, Sam Ballot and Tobiah. Remember they were introduced last message. They're kind of the ones stirring up some trouble. Uh, when you look here, it says the rest of the enemies, uh, those that were kind of gathered against Israel and against Nehemiah and those that were rebuilding the wall. Remember we said, what were they talking junk about? Remember they said, even if you built the wall, it wouldn't matter because if a fox went up and brushed up against it, it would knock it over. Remember we said that was like, like your, your mama smackdown kind of talk, right? It was like, this is junk. It's not going to last. They're mocking them. They're ridiculing them. They're making fun of them. But look what it says here in verse 1. When they heard that I had builded the wall and that there was no breach left therein, though at that time I had not set up the doors upon the gates. Now this is Nehemiah kind of writing back, saying, hey, just so you know, this is what it was like, although I hadn't done this to this point. He's saying the wall itself, there was no breach. Look what it says in verse 2. That Sambalat and Geshem sent unto me, saying, Come, let us meet together in some one of the villages in the plain of Ono. But they thought to do me mischief. Let's pray and ask God to give us wisdom and understanding how to shut the door on distractions as we pursue the good work that he's given us to do. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. It is our firm foundation. There is nothing else we rest in. Lord, your own authors of the word of God said that we have a more sure word of prophecy even Peter says, greater than when we reached out and we touched Christ. Even John says, greater than what we saw with our eyes when we heard with our ears. Greater than our experience and our testimony. Greater than our own understanding. Even though they saw it, even though they could speak to it, even though they saw the miracles and they saw what you did, they were adamant to make sure we as believers to date understood greater than any testimonial experience we may have with Christ. There is a more sure word of prophecy, and that is the word of God. So I pray that as we walk this out this week in our lives, that we don't rest solely in our experience or our understanding or our testimony of what we've seen, although those things are good and fine, nothing wrong with those things. But greater than those things is the word of God, which is our firm foundation. And I pray that we'd stand on it this week. I pray that we would know that when our hearts speaks against us, you are greater than our heart. When our fears speak against us, perfect love casts out all fear. 
when our doubts rise up, you are there to still our hearts and minds and to give us your wisdom. And so, Father, I pray that as we walk this out this morning, that you would just lead us, guide us, and direct us in what we could do, how we can think through the distractions that come up against us as we're pursuing the good work that you've given us to do. Not just the specific burden we're talking about, reaching a certain people group or doing a certain thing, serving a certain area, but, Lord, the general call that we all carry of reaching others with the gospel of Jesus Christ. May we learn to shut the door on distractions. And we ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. The enemies of Nehemiah that we read about last week that were mocking and ridiculing him, uh, they, they've been watching this progress happen. They've been watching the wall be rebuilt. And as they are working to rebuild the wall, the enemies of Nehemiah, uh, they're no longer mocking and making fun. Isn't that amazing? They're no longer pointing fun at it and saying, oh, it's just, it's just ridiculous. It's never going to work. Now they're actually starting to get nervous. Why are they getting nervous? Because they're watching something they thought was impossible become possible. They're watching something they never thought would happen happen right before their eyes, and they're getting nervous. They're getting concerned that their power and their control is going to be lost. They're not going to be able to just do whatever they want to do and just run right over the Israelites. And God is changing the dynamic, and it's amazing to watch them start to get nervous and concerned. And so what do they do? When they see a work they never thought would be finished begin to be accomplished and finished, the good work they doubted that it could ever be accomplished is now being completed. That thing they thought was impossible is now possible. What do they do? When their mocking doesn't work, they tried a new weapon. Distraction. Well, mocking doesn't work. It didn't make them get discouraged. It didn't stop them from doing the work, good work. They kept going. They kept going, even though we were mocking and ridiculing and making fun of them. I always feel bad for Noah. You ever think about poor Noah? 120 years, the Bible says he preached the gospel. Well, preached repentance. I should say it that way. Not the gospel, but preached repentance. 120 years. Building this boat. Can you imagine Noah's neighbors coming out every morning, sipping their coffee? (laughs) Noah, come on. What are we doing, man? This is ridiculous. They call people over. Billy, Billy, come here. Look at Noah. He's still at it, man. This guy's ridiculous. It's crazy. Mocking, making fun of him. But can you imagine? I remember when I was a kid, my mom used to have the old Bill Cosby records. Anybody ever listen to the old Bill Cosby records? Records are like CDs, only much bigger, okay? Um, and these are like the, what was that, 33 and a half? Is that what they were? 33 and a third, whatever they were? We just, just play Frisbee with these things. They were huge. But she had a Bill Cosby record that had a, the, the thing with Noah's Ark and stuff. And I always laugh, but I always think back to that. When you could imagine the neighbors that mocked and ridiculed and that first raindrop fell. What was that? All of a sudden, like, you're just like, there's another one. And it dawns on you, huh, maybe there was something to this whole thing. I always think about Noah that persevered. He pushed through. He didn't let the mockery and the ridicule stop him from doing what God called him to do. He stayed focused and maintained the good work. And so Nehemiah and those that were with him did the same thing. And so what do the enemies do? Well, we can't mock you, make you quit from ridicule and and kind of make fun of you, which, by the way, we understand that, don't we? You ever been made fun of for your faith? Even silly little things? Let me just ask, anybody ever been been made fun of in any way, shape, or form in their Christian life for their faith? Raise your hand in some way. Comment. Okay. Anybody ever read something online that made you feel a little bit, like you're like, that's an attack against me, right? We've all been there. But what do we do? Do we just go, oh, okay, I guess I'll quit. 
I remember when I was in high school, I was a junior, actually senior in high school. I had just received Christ about a year ago before this, and I was in the cafeteria, and I was witnessing to this kid, and I'm like on fire for Jesus. I'm thinking everybody's going to get saved. Like, it's just, it's just what's going to happen. I'm going to say, you need Jesus, and they'll fall at their feet and go, yes, I need Jesus, and it'll be amazing. No controversy, no, t- no issues. And when I was sitting at this table talking to this kid, he was totally engaged. He was listening. We were having great dialogue. Man, the kid's almost in tears, telling his story and telling him about Jesus' love. And these two other kids come over and sit down. And they overheard a little bit, and it was on. Man, they just ripped into me, like just going off. What are you even talking about? You're so stupid. Like, I can't believe you. Leave the kid alone. He's fine. He doesn't need your Jesus. Like, well, who are you to tell him? And just ripping everything they could about it. I've been saved for a year. I know nothing other than Jesus. And I'm just, they're asking me all these questions. And I'm, I don't know. Man, I got it from that table. I was so discouraged. The kid ended up like totally turning away. He's like, yeah, never mind. Went with these two other kids because they were more popular and they were cool and whatever. And I went and sat down with some other Christian friends at another table. And I was just like so discouraged. And it was one of them that said, let's just pray about it. Let's just pray about it. So right there in the cafeteria, Brown City High School, we just bow our heads in prayer. Of course, you were a little careful because if you had French fries, you had to be careful because kids would steal your French fries while you were praying. It was just a jungle. It was a jungle, man. You pray like, looking around, don't touch my fry. I'm praying to Jesus, don't touch my fries. Okay? But I remember one of those kids said, you know, I'm so glad that we just are called to share, not convert. Man, that was so huge for me to realize that. But mockery, man, it hurts. You know the greatest lie we're ever told as kids? Sticks and stones break my bones, but names will never... That's a lie. Names hurt. Man, people can be jerks. And when they say those things to us, it hurts us. But listen, in the midst of the pain of the mockery, we have to stay focused. Why? Because the work we're doing is too important to come down. It's too important to quit. Let the mockery come. And someday, all that mockery will be turned back against those that are mocking us. But we don't do it as a vengeance act. I'm just saying that's how God says. God says one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. That's why, when listen, when somebody mocks you, don't get mad. Don't get even. Don't speak back in anger. Man, guard your testimony. Guard your heart. You just say, you know what? I'm sorry you feel that way. I'd love to pray for you if I could. And then just love them. Serve them if you can. Just, just let them know you're praying for them. And so here, Nehemiah stays focused, and so they tried a new weapon, the weapon of distraction. And so what happened here? How do we shut the door on distractions? If the enemy can't destroy you, he will distract you. If your enemy cannot destroy you, he will distract you. We know our ultimate enemy is Satan. He's a roaring lion seeking him to devour. He's trying to discourage us from sharing Christ. He doesn't want anyone to receive Christ and to be saved. And so he's not going to be able to destroy you in Christ, but he can sure try to distract you. Others in your life may even try to distract you from the good work. The truth is we must know the difference and be aware of the difference between opportunity and distraction. We must know the difference between opportunity and distraction. If you're always available to everyone, some of us need to hear this. Some of you people pleasers like me, you need to hear this. Don't let somebody manipulate you because there's other personalities and other people that love people like you and me that always say yes. They feed on those people, and they'll get you to do, all the time, they'll get you to do stuff. Don't let them win. It's not, we're not mean about it, but hear what I'm saying. If you're always available to everyone, eventually you'll have nothing to give to anyone. It's not that we ignore people or we ignore opportunities, but we have to say, okay, if God has given me this burden for this thing and this way and this good work, 
and something wants to pull me away and there's 20 million things pulling me away, I'm not really doing any of these well, right? I can't do 20 million things well. I might be able to do a couple things well. So I need to pray for wisdom. God, what are those couple of things? And then when something wants to pull me away, it might even be a good thing. I don't go, no, you get all mad and angry. I just realize, no, that's not what God has called me to. And I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that. We have to learn to say, or I'm sorry, we have to learn to not say maybe when we really mean no. We have to learn to not say maybe when we really mean no. You know the greatest weapon you can use in keeping distractions out of your life? Say no when you really mean no. And be okay with that. Sometimes people come up to you and say, hey, can you help with this? It's a good thing. It's good. It's fine. But it's not, it's not where you are called to be. Now, sometimes we're in that limbo stage. We know we're called to make disciples and lead people to Christ, but we don't know that specific burden yet. We don't know that specific lane or lanes that maybe God's calling us to. So someone may come up to you and say, hey, would you be willing to help with this? Or could you serve in this ministry? You're like, I just don't know. Can I tell you something? If you don't know the burden that you're given in that season, maybe that's the time we say yes. Because maybe that's how God's going to lead you to that next step, that next open door of opportunity. But if you know where God has called you and you know kind of those lanes you're called to be in, maybe this season is a time to say no to that. And another season later on, God may open that opportunity again. You say yes. We have to know it's okay to say no. Nehemiah is going to do that. Nehemiah is going to display that before these individuals. Now, again, this is a little bit different context because they're trying to lure him away. And he even says what in verse 2? To do me mischief or harm, okay? Obviously, they, don't want, they want Nehemiah gone. But we have to realize that the work we're doing is too important. The work we're doing is too important to be distracted by something that God is not calling us to do. So look at Nehemiah 6.3. He says this, And I sent messengers unto them. This is Nehemiah sending messengers unto them. I am doing a great work so that I cannot come down. Why should the work cease whilst I leave it and come down to you? He says, man, listen, I can't, I can't come. I can't be there. Notice he doesn't accuse them. Do you notice that? You guys just want to mess me up. You just want to, you just want to harm me. I remember people used to come to our old building over here off Clear Lake Road and Brown City Road in the middle of a cornfield, this tiny little country church. And then we had a couple speakers that said when they were driving out there from the city, they thought it was a hit. They thought, there's no church. Uh, someone's going to take me out. I'm just, this is it. I'm done. I'm just out in the middle of the country. No one knows I'm at. No one knows I'm here. Nehemiah doesn't accuse them. Doesn't say, yeah, you just want to do me harm. He focuses on the good work. Says, listen, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm, I'm wrapped up in what God is calling me to do right now. I just can't come down. It's just too important what I'm doing. So I love this about Nehemiah. This is one of my favorite moments in the story of Nehemiah, to be honest. They try to pull him away, and he remains focused. We need to believe that the work has God given us to, to do is so important that it is worth our efforts and our time. If God has called you to the good work, it is worth your effort and your time. Now, again, I want to be clear here. I'm, I'm, I'm very big into understanding living in a balance, understanding that there's things that, that we are called to do that will take up the majority of our time, but we don't ignore everything else in our life, okay? And so there is a good work, and we need to stay focused on it and say, nope, I'm, I'm in this lane. This is where God's called me. This doesn't mean that we ignore other areas of our lives, obviously, uh, realizing there's responsibilities we all carry, we all have a, to give attention to. Uh, God may call you to a certain work in a ministry, but maybe you work a job 40 hours a week. Well, obviously, if God is keeping you in that job, that's a responsibility. You need to go to work, okay? 
It doesn't mean we ignore that or we ignore something else in our lives or whatever because we're doing this good work. We have to understand, okay, where's this balance here? But when it comes to where God is calling me, this is the good work that I'm called to do. Basically not be willing to uh, stop the good work because what we're doing matters. So what happens here in the life of Nehemiah? He does the right thing, right? Nope, too important to come down. I got to stay focused. Good job, Nehemiah. All distractions go away, right? Cricket, cricket. When we say no to the distraction, and we say, no, I'm going to stay focused on the good work, all the distractions magically disappear, right? The enemy, Satan, and all the people, oh, yeah, you're fine, go ahead. I didn't realize it was so important to you. No, you know what the enemy will do? Actually ramp up the distractions. Actually start hitting you from all kinds of angles, all kinds of directions. Start attacking you in ways you never thought possible. So when distractions grow, what do we do? Well, the first thing we do when distractions grow is we know the truth. When other people want to distract you and you refuse to come down from the good work, they will intensify their assaults. Nehemiah most likely couldn't have imagined how fast this would escalate. I want to look at, uh, again, what his enemies do in Nehemiah 6.5. Nehemiah 6.5. Verse 4, uh, for time's sake, I wasn't going to read it, but you can just kind of look at it for yourself there. Uh, they send, it says basically, unto me four times after this sort. So Nehemiah gets a messenger from them. He says, I can't come down. Four more times they send messages to him. There are people in your life, in your area of influence, that are going to do this. Hey, listen, I just can't do that right now. And they don't want to take no for an answer, so they're just going to keep hammering you and hammering you and hammering you. Now, again, remember what I said a few minutes ago. There are times where someone might encourage us into something that we are not sure about yet. That's not the same thing. I'm talking about we're in the lane, we've made it clear, and someone outside of that is trying to hammer us just to control us to make us what they want. Okay? Because, again, there's some people that do this, and I've had it in my own life, and maybe you've had it in yours. Look at Nehemiah 6.5. Then Samballot sent his servant unto me in like manner the fifth time with an open letter in his hand. So now there's a letter that's coming with it. It says, And wherein was written, It is reported among the heathen, and uh, Geshmu saith it, that thou and the Jews think to rebel, for which cause thou buildst the wall, that thou mayest be their king according to these words. And what's the letter saying? It's, it's a lie. It's a rumor. Anybody have a rumor started about them before? You ever have a rumor come back to you? That's always fun. Hey, I heard that you... What? Where'd you get that from? Okay, we've all had those experiences. And so what's the rumor? The rumor is, hey, Nehemiah, we heard that you're only doing this so you could be their king. That you're trying to stand against the king and set up your own kingdom. That's why you're building the wall for protection so you can overtake the city and rule and reign. Is that Nehemiah's desire? What's Nehemiah's desire? He wanted to build the wall back up for what? So the people of Jerusalem will be protected. That they'll be able to live in peace and comfort. Remember, how did Nehemiah even get to this point? He had to go before the king, remember? Way back in chapter 2. He had to go before the king and he had asked permission. And the king's heart was towards him. But guess where this letter might end up? So this is how it is. It doesn't just go to Nehemiah. I've always wondered, does that letter then get circulated to the king? And you're the king sitting back in the palace, and you get this letter saying, accusing Nehemiah of wanting to raise up his own people, raise up his own kingdom. 
See how this is stirring up some things in Nehemiah's life? And I believe he never could have understood what was going to occur. You can read more about that all the way through chapter 13, or chapter uh, 6, verses 5 through 13, talks more about that. Um, but for time's sake, I just wanted to read verse 5 and get us going with this idea of 5 and 6 of what's happening there. So what's happening about Nehemiah? They're lying about him. They're spreading rumors to disrupt his relationship with the king. They're causing division among the people. But how does Nehemiah respond? How does he actually respond to this? He doesn't give up. He doesn't quit. He stays focused. He doesn't let the distraction keep him from finishing what God has called him to do. How can he do this? Because he knew the truth. Can I give you a word of encouragement? When, you, when somebody's trying to talk about you or spread lies about you or talk about you behind your back and whatever, you got a couple options. You can either get really mad and lash out and get even. You can, what I would encourage is maybe just go and confront in a loving, gracious way, one-on-one that person and just say, hey, let's talk about this. What's going on? But there's a lot of times where you hear about things so late in the game, you don't really know who started it. You can't really go to that one person. You can't really deal with it by talking to someone. That happens in life sometimes. You know what you do? You know the truth. I told my boys this when they were younger, when kids would come home from school and say, well, so-and-so was saying this about me or so-and-so said this about me. They called me in this name or they made fun of me in this way. And I would ask them, I'd say, do you know the truth? And they look at you kind of funny. What? Do you know the truth? Are you those things they said? Well, no. So why are you worried about it? How about this? You focus on your relationship with Jesus Christ. You live in a way that honors him. You're not going to do it perfectly. And you know what? When you blow it and you screw up, you own it. I blew it. Shouldn't have said that. Shouldn't have done that. I've been there. But sometimes we just have to kind of swallow hard. Okay? It'll go down. You just kind of, and you do what Peter said. You let your life and your testimony and your words speak for you. And that when evildoers want to speak evil against you, others will see that and say, no, 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 no. I see their walk with the Lord. That's not true. Now, here's the other thing. Sometimes you're going to blow it. Sometimes somebody will find out and they'll talk about it. And when that comes back to you, you know what you say? Yep. Did you do that? Yep. I can't believe, yep. Well, what do you, praise God for his grace, love, and forgiveness. And I'm just so thankful that I was able to repent of that, turn from that, and trust back in Christ. I didn't lose my salvation. I just renewed my relationship with him. Listen, sometimes we're going to blow it. And I think one of the biggest harms we can do is try to pretend like we're perfect. Like we got it all figured out. I ain't got it all figured out. But I serve a Savior who has it all figured out. And so what we do is when those things come around, we have to really sit back and say, God, give me wisdom. And every situation might be a little different. Sometimes you might go one-on-one with the person. Sometimes you might have a conversation. Sometimes you might deal with it that way. Sometimes you might just have to kind of let the Lord work for your behalf. Remember we said last week, when Nehemiah was being mocked and ridiculed, what did he do? He prayed to God and said, God, you deal with it. Sometimes it's the best thing we do. God, you just deal with it. And give me wisdom if I should do anything about it. So we know the truth. And secondly and quickly... We know what's possible. We know what's possible. We must believe that the work God has given us to do will be accomplished. Nehemiah believed that, that, and because he did not allow the opposition and distraction to deter him, he finished the good work. Look at Nehemiah 6.15. So all this is going on, all the rumors and lies and all the division trying to be stirred up by the enemies of Israel. 
of Nehemiah. Look what he says in verse 15. So the wall, excuse me, was finished in the 20 and 5th day of the month Elu in 50 and 2 days. What's that telling us? How long it take from to build the wall back up? 52 days. Man, do you think that when they started this good work, do you think the people when Nehemiah shared his heart and his passion with them, do you think the people were like, yeah, we'll be done in under 60 days? Any of you ever start a project that you thought you'd be done quicker than you've finished it? Anybody still working on something you're still trying to finish? Are we into the years yet? No? Anyone years? Years working? A couple of hands? A couple of hands? Okay. 52 days. Do you think the people when they started the work were like, yeah, that makes sense. But no, they just stayed committed and stayed focused. And I love what happens next. I want to read what, how those who were mocking Nehemiah, how they responded to this great accomplishment. The New Living Translation words it a little differently. And I want to read from that translation so we get a kind of an idea of what's happening here. Nehemiah 6.16. When our enemies and the surrounding nations heard about it, heard about what? The wall being finished in 52 days. They were frightened and humiliated they realized this work had been done with the help of our God. To me, I love this picture of Nehemiah rebuilding the wall. Now, there's so much more to Nehemiah. I encourage you to read it. Again, I was trying to let you know all along. We're not going verse by verse through Nehemiah for this. I wanted to use some examples there. But when you see this happening here, a work that started with just an idea of just rubble, with a, with a guy who was just carrying a burden that God impressed on his heart, he prayed, he asked for opportunity, Four months goes by before he stands before the king and actually gets to make his request. The king's heart is turned to him, and he sends him to Jerusalem to do this great work. Nehemiah gets there, shares this great burden and this passion, and the people rally around him. There's opposition. There's distraction. But Nehemiah stays focused. Nehemiah stays on target. And because of Nehemiah's commitment and the people that worked with him, who will never even know their names— Right? Some names are recorded for us, but there's those that maybe were involved that we don't even know of. But they stayed committed to it. They stayed faithful to the work. And as a result, it was accomplished. And what happened? God was glorified. This is salvation, by the way. Think about salvation. It's God's work working in and through us. We are saved and redeemed because God did this great work. People are mocking and ridiculing us. And yet one day, God will show himself to be God. And their mockery will be turned into a knee bowed and a, and a word praised to God. Let me ask you some questions in closing as we get ready to pray and have our invitation. What steps can you take to stay focused on God's work that he's given you to do this week? Let me encourage you as well to identify the distractions you face while doing the good work and commit to avoiding those distractions in the future. We've talked at great length about the good work God is calling you to accomplish. And I want to say again, the greatest work that has ever been done or will ever be done is the sacrificial work of Jesus Christ on the cross. It provided the way of salvation and was freely given by grace. And Jesus Christ faced opposition. Jesus Christ faced distraction. Jesus Christ faced all the turmoil that anyone could imagine, tried and tempted at every turn, tried to be stopped from the religious community to Satan himself. But Jesus, Hebrews chapter 12 tells us that Jesus endured the cross and despised the shame. And why did he do that? So that we 
could be with him for all of eternity because he has prepared a place for us that where he is, we may be also. That's the gospel. You want to know the heart of the gospel? It's John chapter 14, that where he is, we will be with him. Would you bow as we close this part of the service in a word of prayer? (coughs) (coughs) Heavenly Father, as we come before you today, we ask, Lord, that you would give us a great understanding of this good work you've called us to do. Lord, that we would understand that, that you love this world so much that, Lord Jesus, you died on the cross, that you sacrificed yourself, were buried in a tomb, and rose again on the third day. And the reason you did that was because it is what we needed. Lord, we didn't know what we needed. We rejected you. We rebelled against you. We violated your law. We sinned against you openly. We flaunted. We flaunted our brokenness before you. We despised you. We didn't want anything to do with you. We were your enemies. And yet you came. You lived a sinless life. You died on a sinner's cross were buried in a borrowed tomb and rose again to accomplish the work of salvation. That any single person, any individual that turns from their sin, repents of their sin, any sin. Lord, there's no greater or lesser sin. It's all sin. It's all a violation of your law. Lord, I know in my own life I've sinned greatly against you. I've done things that were easy to justify in my own eyes, but, but were sin. And that sin carries a weight and a consequence. And your word tells us that any single person, any individual who dies in their sin without repenting and trusting in Christ will be cast into a place called hell for all of eternity. So many times we think that's so unfair, Lord. We think how, how ridiculous a punishment But Lord, I pray that when we think those things that we remind ourselves of the weight of sin. What sin really represents. Ultimate rebellion against you, our creator. But yet, Lord, even though that is the consequence of our sin, you came and you took that wrath. You took that penalty on the cross, Lord. And anyone who trusts in Christ will have their sin forgiven. They will be made new, the Bible says sons and daughters of God. And we will spend eternity with you in your heaven. Thank you for accomplishing the greatest work. Thank you for remaining focused against opposition and distraction. And so, Lord, all we ask as followers of Christ this morning is that we would do the same. That we, by your grace and by your strength, would remain focused. That we would realize that it's too important to come down. Lord, I ask that you would be glorified in all that is said and done. Maybe there's someone here, Lord, that feels a burden for a specific area or field or ministry. Maybe they want to come and pray and say, God, give me wisdom in the face of opposition. Give me the ability to shut the door on distractions. And may you be glorified in it. Maybe there's somebody here that doesn't know Christ. Maybe they'd come forward and bend a knee and say, God, I I just need to know you as Savior. I repent of my sins. I trust in you as my Savior. Thank you for giving yourself for me. I will live my life for you. 
Maybe there's somebody in their seats, Lord, that don't, want to, don't feel comfortable coming forward, but in the seat they want to make that decision. Lord, I pray that you'd be glorified. Lead God and direct in all these things that we may keep our eyes on you. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand to your feet this morning as the praise band leads us in song of invitation? You're facing distraction this morning, asking for wisdom. Would you come and pray? Maybe you didn't know Christ. Maybe you'd come and pray. Whatever God is doing, would you respond to him as we worship him this morning?